Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Hey, happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the podcast. And it's snowing like crazy here. I think it's snowing nationwide right now. It seems like it's snowing <laughs> like crazy so. everywhere. I think so. People are writing us from the south where they've never even actually thought about looking up winter tires going, do I need winter so, tires? So winter tire talking yeah, to you guys. Yeah, is that a yeah, thing? Yeah. yeah. The thing generally is, I'm going to review this real quick because a couple of you asked. If you're in a world where you in a world where you get <laughs> under 40 degrees and hang out there, you should really consider winter tires. Indeed. If you get a lot of snow, you should have not consider, you should have winter tires if you get a lot of snow. The big question mark is those areas where it's it was 20 degrees this morning and it's going to be 60 this afternoon. All seasons are probably your play. There's also all weather which is all seasons with the triple peak snowflake indicator, which means they are actual snow rated. Mm-hmm. If you're in Houston, you call this a freak storm. Is that what that is? That's just it's just a freak storm. It, well, you, uh, you don't run on by tires for freak storm weather. <laughs> We've got a cheap sports car challenge coming yeah, yeah, with yeah. our winter tire test. Yep. We don't use and don't consider all weather tires here in Park City because of the specific seasons. So we have all seasons for the sports cars, and mm-hmm. then we do have specific winter tires, which the yes. cars are back on now. After we did our pit stop in a parking lot with a sideways snowing blizzard, which was don't don't do excellent. that. NASCAR's so that never done that. F one has never done that. Yeah, they've they've never done that. So yeah, they're, they're, they're better be than us, but us. they also don't want to be in this situation. Yeah. TV on Motor Trend Cable Channel. We have been through the entire season eight mm-hmm. at this point. It is available on Amazon Prime. Please mm-hmm. find it there. So we have done our single repeat in the middle of the season, yep. which was the SCCA Racing School. That's yeah, a fun one. And we battled in in uh, Spec Racer Fords. If you want to see how close Paul and I are as drivers and all the thing we talk about where we will both drive a lap and get similar lap times, we get there totally differently. That's on display big time in that SCCA piece. That was fun. I found out you're in a totally different gear under hard braking on one of the corners. And I thought, how are you catching up to me? Mm. But then out of the corner, I'd leave you over here and you'd be going, how are you you accelerating away so hard? It was pretty funny. Yeah, for sure. Very close. And so – we are looking at season nine, but as of season eight, there is a single episode from season eight now available on YouTube. And we thought it was very timely. It is that brand new 2021 Mazda 3 Turbo against a Golf R. And these two cars actually do compare very favorably against it's, each other. It's surprising, actually. Yeah. It's not. Don't think of the Mazda 3 as just they added a turbo and didn't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. They did so many excellent things, and it does compete very heavily. But it's well in advance of that Mark 8 Golf R coming which will be a different horsepower, different price level. Which would category. totally change the discussion. I probably wanted to get the 7 out for sure, yeah. Definitely. Cars are made to be driven, and we can't imagine a future without driving the cars we love. The folks at Haggerty feel the same way, and that's why they support our show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for enthusiast vehicles, including classic cars, trucks and motorcycles, newer collectibles, and boats. They also protect race cars when they're not on track, and they can protect your car when it is on track with HPDE insurance. In fact, we actually use Haggerty Track Day insurance every time we drive our own cars, the Cayman and the Elise, on our local track. It's a huge peace of mind. Learn more about Haggerty and quote insurance at haggerty.com slash everydaydriver. 
we are starting off this podcast with our first guests of 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're very thrilled they elected to join us. Mm-hmm. The guys from Savage Geese, Mark and Jack, and we're going to jump on with them right now. Hey guys, welcome. So nice to have you on. So nice to hear your voices. It's been a yeah. long time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I have to tell the story of how we all actually met in person. And this mm-hmm. was at the 2019 Kia Telluride launch in yep. Telluride, Colorado. And we, <laughs> we walked in, we're like, hey, the Savage Geese guys. And they're like, hey, the Everyday Driver guys. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And it has occurred to me, we got to have you on the podcast. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad we're, that you, you're on. And I, I have kind of an overall subject to get us kicked off here. But it was pretty funny because we all needed each other's just we needed bodies to go do the follow footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we helped the Savage Geese guys film their Kia Telluride mm-hmm. rolling mm-hmm. portion. They helped us. And so you'll find, I think in our video, it's Jack driving or something. So if you yeah, look if closely, you, it's Jack driving. If you look closely, yeah, it's very funny to me because there's there's actually an on-screen cameo from Savage <laughs> Geese while, while we're actually shooting exactly. the Telluride piece, which was a TV piece that is now on YouTube. But uh, you guys, honestly, I, I know I said it in the intro, but I'm going to say it again with you on the line. Uh, you guys are the rare people that put out YouTube videos that are concerned with how it looks. Yes. I hate to say it, yes. but you know, let's be honest, because we all know that YouTube does not reward quality, that you guys actually are concerned about it, and I greatly appreciate that from you. And I think if anybody is not already listening to these guys or watching what they do, you need to because they care about the quality. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm giving you that kudos right now because – Oh, I'm glad said. our check cleared. I'm glad that worked out well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Exactly right. Yeah, Nicely done. Nicely done. Well, thank you. Things, yeah. So you know what, Mark? While, while I've got you, because I, I don't know how I've asked this, what what is your background shooting wise that leads you to that? I don't think I've ever actually Just, asked you that question. Yeah, I know. I, I don't think we ever talked about it because I think typically people that do this don't want to sit there and the first time they meet and sit there and talk about the technicalities of this stuff. So fair, fair. fair yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the I, really all it was is I grew up watching movies from. A very very early age because i think my dad just sat me in front of the tv to keep me quiet and <laughs> i just kind of really got engrossed in how things were made visually and i was always kind of interested in how to capture life from a camera perspective video and mm-hmm. i wasn't really into photography sure sure and that's really all it was that okay. that that's as simple as and, and as complicated as it is and along those lines will you explain for those who don't know that the genesis of savage geese the name the logo everything so people hear it usually i just give the generic explanation as you know when i was a kid my my grandmother used to take me and my cousin to she didn't drive so we always went to like the bus stops and we were always walking everywhere with her and i'd go running off like a crazy little kid trying to chase geese and she was constantly yelling at me and telling me how they were savage and they were gonna kill me or they're gonna maul me yes I mean, it was just ridiculous and i was i one time i had run into traffic after them because i was chasing them and like the whole car thing, she was always like pounding that in our heads. How cars are dangerous, geese are dangerous. So I it just it kind of stuck from uh, early point in my life, and I just came up with savage geese, and that was it. I love it, and and I you know we've all read all of those headlines about how often that happens, the savage geese attacks. So I'm really glad that you could <laughs> yeah. connect it all. It's weekly. Yeah. Now. Well, social media has brought them to the forefront of, you know, people really didn't know much about their plot. And what they were kind of yes. organizing to do. Yes, their attempt to overthrow us all. Yeah, for sure. Right after, right after the the monkeys, it'll be the geese. I mean, we got to be really worried for sure. Yeah. Well, the monkeys have the ground covered, but the geese are definitely uh, definitely have the all the aerial stuff covered. So. 
No one listening to this podcast expected us to be here, including us, which we're fine with. I actually, honestly, answer me this question, guys, because when we met you guys on this Telluride launch, I thought at the time you guys didn't live in the same town, but you do so much work together now you must. Am I wrong there, or did I just miss? We've always actually lived in the same town. So Mark and I, uh, we make the joke that we met on Christian Mingle. No, we actually met on six forums. Uh, what is? I've known you now, Mark, for se- over seven years now at this point, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and we both uh, basically lived in the same town. I, uh, Mark and I have a little bit of an age gap. Mark is 75 and I am uh, 25. Yeah, I know. It seems it, it's hard to tell, but it is true. Yeah, keep going. But yeah, no, it's just we we were friends for a long, long time before really any of the video stuff started to happen. I guess that's I guess that's the easiest way to explain it, right, Mark? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, basically, cars brought us together. That's the that's the short of it. Okay. And I had been filming with Scott, who was the mechanic. Yeah. At yeah, the yeah. start, and it was more of kind of like fun for us you know as a way to like get back into cars and i i kind of use it as an excuse to do video stuff and um halfway along that time jack uh obviously was into cars as well and i think he got integrated somewhere in the the first couple years of it um he had begged me like he took me out yeah, to my hands and knees yep there yeah was begging involved that okay. seems like something jack would do yeah it does kind of yeah yeah, he he just is like, oh man, this is what you do. I, I just, I, well, I gotta be a part of this. <laughs> really, that that's it. I mean, there's yeah, and about more. like a year and a half ago, or maybe two years, Mark, we tried to make this our, our full time gigs, right? Yeah, it was when I got out of like my career job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I made the conscious decision. I already had this kind of started and going, and the argument was, you you can't do something half. Right. That, that's yeah. always the thing. Yeah. You either have to be in it all the way or not in it at all. Well, I hate to not put a gray area in there, but for, for what we're doing online, that was the time to go mm-hmm. flat out, try to make it work. And now it's been, I think it has been about two and a half years. Uh, the first year was really dicey going full time. The mm-hmm. second year was way better. Um, <laughs> and now it's just like, now it's the terror of like, oh my God, this is life. And now I have to like create content all the time yeah. that I didn't expect. So it's the realization of kind of switching into that mode. On that note, is that sort of the worst thing you're finding about it? Because, you know, Todd and I have go through similar experiences mm-hmm. with every platform that we're on as well and thinking, yeah, that's unexpected. And we got to feed the beast over here and we got to do that. And But on the other hand, we get to drive cars and share our experiences. So is that sort of top of your list for worst thing? Jack, I'll let you answer that one first. Like what's the, I, what's the worst thing about it? For I you? think you and I are, are in dramatically different places when it comes to perspective. You and I have a different, dramatically different background upbringing wise mm. and where we are in our lives. I graduated my engineering degree probably at this point, Mark, like a year and a half ago. And I, uh, you know, in the beginning I was excited, well, apprehensive about this. This is, this wasn't really either of our plans to be doing this, well, both of us doing this full time. Mm. Uh, and then I think the longer we've done this, the part that kills me, I think about this job and really the automotive industry is to a certain point at, at a certain point, I think Mark and I are way less excited about cars than we were when we initially did it. Not all mm. cars, but the vast majority of vehicles we do. And Mark and I shoot and edit two videos a week, every week, is that most of the cars are kind of cookie cutter, disposable SUVs. Mm-hmm. And it's it just sucks the life out of you. 
Well, yeah, and I think that the part of that is I don't think that's anything new. I think the car industry is evolving, and there's always been these trends, and what sells isn't particularly the most exciting. But I, I brought this up in this nostalgia video. How is, we're, we're at this changeover of a generation of cars now. It, there's becoming a clear divide of certain types of vehicles are going to be going away. Maybe the U.S. will be the last one to kind of move out of that with high horsepower. You know, the internal combustion process is going to be phased yeah. out. Well, it's yeah. it's not really being phased out, but it's become so complicated, the engineering behind making it work with emissions and fuel economy, that these cars are so limited in so many ways in terms of longevity complication that it's really hard as somebody that likes cars to get excited about them i mean you can get excited about the technology and all the engineering that goes into them but as somebody that really wants to see them as something you're going to keep or have fun with everything has gotten to the point of being so disposable now that that's where i've had a really difficult time getting if there's one thing to tell the story like you guys were joking around about the pr stuff everybody has to be careful what they say Mm -hmm. you have to you have to have the pr speak down and i i feel like doing this full time you are so stuck in that like purgatory of treading that line because these companies they their lifeblood is moving cars and Mm -hmm. i can talk what i don't like about them and i can have my feelings about them but it has no place in the business world um and it's really hard to tell a story and be honest to the viewers the people that are watching this stuff it makes it very difficult to be honest with all these changes that are going on I hear you on that, although we're finding on a recent video about the CT4 that the honesty that we brought to it was apparently refreshing. The audience loves it. The car makers don't. And that's the problem, because what if you shut off the taps of getting the press cars? For sure. But, you know, we've never been over here saying, well, the people behind this are bad. Don't buy this car. It's going to kill you. No, we're, (laughs) we're pointed at an inanimate object. Yeah. It's about everything didn't work out on this vehicle like you hoped it would. We're pointing this out because your customers are spending their money on this thing. They're, they're shopping for all these kinds of things. On the other hand, I think it allows us to say when it is indeed good and we actually like it, that also lends credibility because on the cars that we don't like for this, this, and this reasons, and they're valid reasons, I think that lends credibility to when we do say, well, sure, this car is great. And Inevitably, there will be comments about, well, Ford paid you off to say yeah. that, didn't they? Like, no, I would take that dump truck full of money back We're waiting the for door. those checks. I, we don't receive them. I don't know if you guys have <laughs> you know? got yours lost in the mail as well, but yeah. It mm-hmm. probably did. It's just a snafu of some sort. But anyway, we, we found that to be the case as well. But we want to be able to be honest. But there are some things that we edit out. They're like, yeah, that's probably too far. That just, that didn't come out like I thought it was coming coming out at the time. Well, so. and we still, <laughs> and sh- cut. sure you guys have this problem as well. We, we still have those situations where we'll say something and we end up hearing kind of filtering back to us from the manufacturer that that didn't go over well. And we're like, okay, but here's the three times we talked about your product is great. I mean, they can't all be great. In spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that the marketing department would suggest they're all revolutionary and great. Right. We right. know they aren't. Well, that happened when the Fiat 500 came out. Years, a decade ago now, crazy enough. And we were given a new Fiat 500. Mm -hmm. It was one of the low-end flavors. It was the base base model. And we couldn't figure out what the sport button did. You turn it on and nothing happens. And you turn it off and it feels the same. And I was likening it to that light switch in your house that you don't know what it's connected to. Mm -hmm. And it's over there flipping the neighbor's lights on and off. And you're like, honey, what is this? I don't know what this does. And so... 
FCA came to us and said, I'm never giving you a base model anything ever again. <laughs> and we took that as a, oh, we're, we're never getting cars again. And he said, no, I'm giving you the performance version of yeah. everything we make because you guys are looking for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That makes more well, sense. Well, now all FCA does is just Hellcat everything. So they've <laughs> so gone they the complete other way. So all the all things. Good, yeah. And now here we are. But I, I thought, okay, interesting. But, you know, we, we want to be able to to bring a credibility as you guys do. But also, you know, hey, this is crazy. Why is it like this? Ultimately, it's probably about money and cost and savings and the people that write the checks. But still, There's we're an enthusiasts. accountant in there somewhere and a lawyer involved. I mean, that's all these And the then case. the other comments about, well, all you journalists are just looking for great handling and great ride and all this stuff. Nobody else buys a car based on that. I disagree. That's not the point, especially as platforms get shared in the future. And we're hoping for dedicated sports cars, but that might not happen. We've also decided that a sports car, the defini- definition of a sports car is a car that somebody will make a condescending remark about. You're going to get killed in that thing. You shouldn't own that. Tisk tisk. We're working on how that that works into a shirt. But so you guys are doing two videos a week. Are you getting two press cars a week? Yeah, it's normally so. Mark, the the, the workload is split up in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, without uh, revealing too much, where Mark primarily does a lot of the editing. I deal mainly with the manufacturers and now do a lot of the filming because the editing is the most time consuming portion of this. But it is two press cars a week or, you know, a viewer car and a press car every single week. And now we're moving to three videos to the time oh, of year. Wow. 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 That's holy, impressive. Holy guys. That's so how, I'm going to ask all the, the questions that are interesting to me and hopefully interesting to at least three other people listening. How long do you normally spend shooting a car and how, what's the approximate hours on edit time? Uh, Mark, you want to answer the editing question? No, the, so it used to be a lot longer. Um, by necessity, we've had to transition away from trying to, I cannot survive doing this without creating more than basically, let's just say two videos a week and maybe two weeks out of the month have to be three. It's the only way to survive doing this and then paying Jack and then covering all the overhead of doing it. Sure. So by necessity, you have to become more efficient. So Mm -hmm. before it was, I would say three to four days to shoot a car and then probably two to three days to edit. So essentially one car would take a week in terms of time, yeah. a seven days, not five day a week, but a seven yeah. day. Wow. Wow. Now, um, two cars are essentially like an eight day thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to know any more than that. No, it's but- fine. It's just a little bit of overlap. And, I, and, and, but is it now like more 50, 50 edit and shoot time? I'm, I'm purely curious. So Jack does all the shooting now, almost. 90% of it. I do have to come in for like certain things like commentary. I'll record commentary or like the drive segment of course, yeah, together. Yeah. Um, while he's shooting, I'm editing mm-hmm. and I have complete control of the editing. I have outsourced some of the editing as a test to a company to see where that goes. Mm. And that um, went over really well with the public. <laughs> yeah. The, the first, well, I mean, as anticipated, you know, I, I think people underestimate how much work goes into at least the, the way that I do stuff. And then sure. you set a precedent of how things, how things look, sound, feel. Mm-hmm. It's not saying that it's great, but you know, that you have to essentially get somebody that has edited thousands of videos in your headspace of how to do something. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. of course I gave the editors a really difficult one first off and they have no car experience. They have no like technical knowledge of that. And it's like, Here's all the data. Here's the, the timelines. Here's the, the storyboard of how you do it. And their style is different. It's mm-hmm. going to be. Mm-hmm. So trying to get that part up to speed is uh, 
you know, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars to get them up to speed and it may not work. And that's part of the risk of trying to do what I'm doing with how do you get those three videos out a week? Mm-hmm. And if I can get two videos or one video edited a week, that means I can go back to shooting stuff and getting creative again mm-hmm. versus just sitting behind the computer. Um, and I know this is really boring inside baseball stuff, but there's a separation between what you see on the screen and what you see as a viewer or a fan versus the creative process, which, you know, you start to, this you start to lose connection with, what do people really want? What do people like? Mm. And you get lost in the editing creative cycle. And that's something I'm trying to avoid doing. And that's why I kind of hired the editors to hopefully get back in the headspace of, I like cars or I used to, what would I want to see? Because that's how I started this. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, without making the content entirely disposable as well. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the struggle and you're already speaking to it. This is the struggle of if you are cranking out content this quickly at some point and tons of channel, pick your channel. And I'm not even talking automotive. I'm talking YouTube. If people are cranking out content that fast, at some point you have to assembly line it at all to some degree has to look the same. And it's a catch 22 because on one level, if you do something completely out of the box, different than what the audience is expecting, they might not watch it just because it's different. Mm hmm. But yet, right. that if you're just doing the same thing over and over, as a creative person, at some point you're just like, shouldn't I do something different? Because isn't this – how am I going to be excited about this? I'm not, I'm not talking cars. I'm talking just watch anything on YouTube. This was one of the reasons – there were lots. This is one of the reasons we started a whole separate channel just because we were watching the audience. This is – I'm overstating. We were watching the audience to some degree get confused by why do we have some stuff that looks like our TV stuff, big comparisons, and some stuff that's Paul and I in a car together, single car. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it was completely yeah. – Completely screwing with the viewership. So we were like, okay, yeah. we got to put this over here in it's test drive now. so that yeah. people understand this is what this format is. And then over here on the original channel is the original format. And that's just the YouTube stuff. Forget the fact that we're doing TV and the podcast and the other stuff. But you really do have to, to compartmentalize. And then you have to streamline the heck out of it. And I totally hear your pain there because as the guy that has edited or at least touched everything we've ever done for yeah. a long period of time, period I, of time. I totally hear yeah. you for sure. Okay, so Mark, a question to you is best thing about doing this, because as you said, I mean, I look at the creativity thing as an iterative process, just like in car design or product design, you're constantly iterating the next thing. It's not like, you know, movies portray writers sitting down, looking at their screen, white piece of paper. Todd doesn't have this problem, but, you know, there's other writers who do have the problem. Career counselors in the future might have YouTuber as an option. It's a terrifying thought. To your Sorry, son or daughter, like, okay, so you could be a you know, firefighter, you could be a teacher, you can be an educator, you could you know, be what? hang on, you, a you, tech person, you could be a YouTuber. You've just hit on a potential nerve for me because I'm realizing my son at the age of 11 <laughs> might come to me in his teenage years and be like, How Dad, I want to be an influencer. And be like, I don't think so. I'm not going to college. Influence who? I'm going to be a YouTuber. He, no, I've said this <laughs> That's before. That's happening. He said to my mother-in-law, oh, the no. last person oh, on the planet he should have said this to, oh, you, no. to, that he didn't think it was necessary to go to college because he could just take over everyday driver. Oh, my god! And of course, I heard that back through the pipeline, oh, not from my you? son. I heard it from my wife who looked at me kind of over an eyebrow like, so guess what your son said today? It was like, oh, no. So, yeah, that exists. Oh, that had to have been fun. Oh, that was great. Fun. Okay, but, yeah, Mark, back to you. Both of you guys, best thing about doing it. So I walked into a grocery store last night, and I asked some guy that was putting stock away. I said, do you know where I could find organic hot chocolate mix? And he kind of looked at me. He's like, yeah, I don't know if we have that. And he's like, are you a YouTuber? And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking to myself, you know, this, this, he's essentially a kid. He's like 20 years old, you know, and like, that's, 
what I'm being referred to, even though in my head I don't think that's what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's a weird place because we're at that, I don't know, I guess that's really what it is. And part of the acceptance of that is being in a place where you know exactly what you're doing. And it goes back to what you're talking about with the audience. You know, you, if this is every genre of anything, you know, I'm not saying what we're doing is art, but, you know, artists, musicians call themselves artists. If you start in like folk music and then you get popular and you make two albums that's folky and then all of a sudden your next album's death metal because you're bored, mm-hmm. your fans are not going to listen to you. You're right. You know, you're like right. that, that's true. not going to work. It's, it's any genre. Filmmaking is the same way. You know, if you're known for a certain style of filmmaking and then all of a sudden you go like, oh, I'm done with that because you decide you're done with that, that doesn't mean your fan base is going to be okay with that. Christopher so you Nolan have to be... does a romantic comedy. Just all everybody <laughs> picture that real quick. The Christopher Nolan, it's probably going to work backwards in time. But anyway, go on. Right. Well, yeah. Th- so that's what, you know, you, you, again, for me, I have to get back in a place, and I've talked to Jack about this, where what I like doing is being creative, telling a story, and then being technically proficient. Mm. And if I can't do that, and all I'm doing is waking up from the beginning, the time I get up to the moment I go to bed and I'm stressed out and I can't think and I can't do those things that I love to do. I am no longer functioning and I'm no longer doing what I set out to do. Mm. So I've constantly been battling. How do I get back in that place where I can think about how to be different, how to do things differently and better within the sphere of what this really is and what people really want. And I like connecting with the people. I like seeing comments. I like seeing people affected by the work mm. that they took away something from it mm. other than just arguing, complaining, <laughs> uh, you know, getting on the troll train. I like when you see it and having an effect on people, enriching people's lives, much mm. like cars enrich our lives. So that's what I'm constantly seeking. So I know you brought up on one of your questions about this whole Reddit thing, which I don't want to cut off Jack. Jack, if you want to address that before they go into the Reddit thing, because it kind of leads into that. I think the thing that I enjoy about this, and this is the conversation we had when I guess I started doing this full time with you, is that, you know, the content, Mark Mark and I have no delusions about what we do, right? It's YouTube is a disposable medium. You know, we are not particularly important human beings. We just happen to have people who watch our videos. And the point behind what we're doing is to educate and provide something that isn't entirely disposable to our audience. Hopefully they watch our videos, either make an informed buying decision, learn something about a project or get to live somewhat vicariously through what we do. Because the reality is right. The majority of people aren't going to be able to drive Porsche 992 Carrera S's, LFA's, 458 Ferraris. So they get to learn something about it. And that obviously appeals to Mark and I's nerdy background, Mark's an IT background, and obviously I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that, that visual element, but the part that I've enjoyed the most is actually meeting the people associated in this industry. Mm-hmm. A project that sticks out to me still that was not successful at all was Bondurant. I mean, Mark mm-hmm. and I wanted to die while we were filming that. It was a brutal uh, shoot. It was in like over 100 degree weather, but these people sunk their hearts and souls into their organization. They gave it everything and hearing them really talk about what they love and hopefully in our end, we provided something for them, bringing them awareness to their cause mm-hmm. meant something to me. Or meeting Tom Montano, 
same deal, the guys who worked in the Miata project, when we did our Miata documentary series, you know, getting to meet some of the people who this is their legacy and this is what they care about. Mm. And you know, no media or PR person really has ever talked to these people about what made them love their car. And we got to do that. And it, I know it helped them and made them genuinely happy. So that, that meant a lot to me. That's cool. interesting. And when I was designing furniture, the question came up. I was working for another guy whose name was on the door and, and he was earning all the royalties. But the question sort of came up, would you rather design, you know, we like kitchens. I, I like kitchen design and furniture and that kind of stuff. Would you rather design 100,000 Ikea kitchens at $30,000 each? Or would you rather design five really gorgeous high-end kitchens that are in five homes and that's it? And all of us decided, I want to do the five. I just mm. want to do those five kitchens. That's mm. it. I want to do those special things, which I think that's what I'm hearing from you, Mark. And the LFA piece had to be one of those pieces as a manifestation of what you're talking about. Did it not? Uh, it kind of did. And, you know, like what Jack talked about with Bondaran and the Miata documentary series, I, I think that's one of the things I struggle with the most. These These kind of like passion projects that matter, I would say people don't care about them. They really mm. don't. Based on my ex experience with the, the work that we've done, I'm not talking about big picture with everybody, but the stuff that we've put the most amount of effort into or really had a heart and soul in it was not financially successful and it was not view-wise successful. And I think that's one of the biggest disheartening things about doing this is, you know, like the Bondurant thing's a great example. You spend a week, these people are basically where we're, you know, the, I'm not even going to get into the story with them, but it was a miraculous story, human story about people that love cars that would do anything to stay in that interest industry and keep that alive. Hmm. And I could go and get out a horrible car video on some piece of trash CUV and it would have more views and make more money that I spent eight hours on. And that's, I know everybody struggles with this. That's how it is. Commercialization. That to me is one of the biggest uh, problems that I have doing this. Mm. It doesn't reward the work. It rewards all of the things that people really, really want. And most of it is that like quick fix, uh, you know, it, it's all everything that you know that's bad about social media and the internet. That is what really sells. And I, I, me and Jack joke around about this all the time, like how we would get maximum views and money is to completely compromise your entire uh, set of principles to find, you know, what sells in cars. Mm. But, you know, like what a lot of these vloggers do, they put their girlfriends in the passenger seat, like half naked, like all these little mm -hmm. things that all mm -hmm. you have to do, the clickbaity stuff. I know that's what works and it makes me sick. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, I try to avoid seeing it. I try to shut it out so I can focus on what I'm doing, but it's hard to turn that off for me. It you, really is. You've led exactly to my next comment. I found this Reddit thread on our cars and it was about discussing the car YouTuber cycle. Mm -hmm. And the, the overall gist was people were sort of naming, here's my favorite YouTuber that does this about cars. And it was vast. It was mm -hmm. mechanics yeah, yeah. to incredibly broad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and all sure. this kind of stuff. And you guys got mentioned favorably quite often and well-deserved as well. It was more about people gravitating from just watching people with supercars or, Hey, I'm trying to sell merch or, Hey, I'm trying to you well, know look at this new thing or, or I, or I just picked this up or I just sold that thing mm -hmm, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
and more towards, yeah, real, real people. And I, they're helping me buy a car. They're helping me be passionate about driving or something like that. It, that was kind of the direction it was headed. It didn't fully go there. Well, that's, this is, this that was is the, the struggle. This is the struggle because there's a few, and, I, and I, we could get down in the weeds. I know the four of us could, and I'm going to try to keep us from getting in the <laughs> okay, weeds. And thank I'm going to bring us back to something fun in just a second. But here's my only comment on this. There are actually quite a few Reddit threads right now going on that are essentially about, can we be done with vloggers, please? And while I appreciate yeah. those threads... And it's nice that you guys and we as well get mentioned in some of those threads as not being that. I appreciate that. On the flip side, the four of us can sit here and go, do you see how many views that got? Yeah. Do you see how much money they're making? Yeah. Just cranking out vlogger content. I mean, and look, I am going to mention him because he's local and we know him. James the Stradman here mm -hmm. in, in yeah. Utah. We've met him. He's a, quite a different guy than he is on camera. Very. And I've had very candid conversations with the guy, and he fully knows that his audience is an audience you and I don't even get, Paul. Yep. It's 12 to 18 is his audience. Yes, exactly. our, If you look at our stats, all of our audience is older than that. So there, but, but yet there's tons of money in that kind of thing. So this is the struggle as creative people to figure out what does work. I, I'm going to try to back away. I'm, deep, deep, I'm backing away <laughs> from, the, from the Reddit thing because we could go that. really deep in that. Let's, Here let's is my away. real question. What do you guys have in your garages that you like? What do you have in your garages <laughs> right now? I'm, I'm leaving that conversation completely because I, I, know it's, I know it's landmines. I'm taking off the hazmat suit and I'm backing away. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's a smart thing because you're going down a rabbit hole and it's real easy to get there. Um, we'll leave it at that. That's a whole different topic for another day. But, yeah, th there, there is passion for cars. Underneath all of this, really, we wouldn't be making car content like we do if we didn't care about the experience of cars. And, you know, I've been looking for my whole life to find those cars, the cars that I've been connected with emotionally. I think that's the key that you walk away from it and you walk away from getting out of the car, driving it where you you absolutely feel something. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be different for everybody. But for me, I, I finally am getting to the place where I know exactly what I like and I love. Um, so I one of the cars that I've always wanted and I drove it like all the iterations of it was the Atom and I bought an Atom 3S and which I just, I just sold like a mm. month ago. Um, and I replaced that with an LC 500, uh, coupe. And then I have my old S 2000 and 2004. And, uh, those are two cars that I plan on keeping for a long time. That's 2000. And definitely the LC will see what happens with the car world. Mm. Um, mm. you know, I, I feel like that's, that car is going to get killed off or at least the engine is, mm. um, yeah. a lot of these naturally aspirated cars are getting killed off. So I'll probably keep it. And then my other car is a XC90, um, yeah, Volvo XC90. Cool. Which also serves as our camera car. Which is, yeah. it's awesome across the board. I like it. That's good. I mean, that LC 500 is pretty much the bigger, more luxurious S2000, is it not? <laughs> I mean, yeah. not really. I I hear everybody I mean, there, there's no, similarities, I guess you could say, because they're coupes. They have the long nose. You know, the, like, it's just, it, I wouldn't say it's an evolution of it. Maybe it's a GT car evolution of it a bit. Okay, fair but enough. That that might be a stretch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. So, Jack, what are you what are you driving right now? I have a C7 Grand Sport. It's funny. We actually, had, I'm sure you don't remember. We actually had that conversation at the Telluride event. I was getting ready to graduate college, mm -hmm. move into an engineering career. I was debating between a GT350 and a C7 Grand Sport, and I went with the vet. So I am the official yell at my girlfriend in the parking lot of Applebee's guy now that I'm a Corvette owner. Perfect. Love and, it. Uh, Great car, though, by the way. Really, yeah, really cool. Yeah, shorts, all nine yards. 
And I have a, a Mark 7 GTI, which I just recently picked up as kind of a extra camera car in the daily. Very cool. Nice. Very cool. Nice. Excellent. See, okay, after all of this great discussion where we can talk about the pros and cons of doing what we do for a living, because there are lots of pros, and there are like any – look, here's – let me step to the side for a second. Whatever you do, all of you listening – Whatever job you have, you have days you love it, hopefully, and you have days you really hate it. Of course. And if, and if yes. you get to do what we do, which is you step out of other jobs into something that you love, then you discover the flip side, which is, oh, this can be work too. So in spite of that, what I do like is that all of us come back to just having stuff we love to drive and tell people about these are why these are awesome. And hopefully you feel that both in frustration and in joy when we drive cars that either tap into that or walk away from that. And hopefully you see that in the videos. Exactly. So Mark, what did you tell the guy in the grocery store? Did you say yes? I did. I said, yeah, I, I'm like, yeah. And I, I, first thing I asked him was, is that a bad thing? You know, cause I've had people come up to me before where they like, I've, I can't tell when they say it, if they hate mm. my guts, mm. you're, you know, you're trying so to I'm, engage I'm, the amount of disdain in their voice. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm just assuming when you come across as saying, Hey, aren't you that YouTuber? I am assuming it's negative. And <laughs> yeah. But, that you know, comment that you really hated on. Yeah. That was me that left that comment. Yeah. Oh, you're the, pro- Oh <laughs> yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, he was cool. I'm yeah, glad he, he was nice about it. He didn't throw the organic hot chocolate at your head. Well, then, then I look like, now I look like a total bitch. I'm like, hey, you have organic hot chocolate. <laughs> you know? <Hey>. They, <laughs> we, we, we all shop for odd things. It happens. I totally understand. The worst is when you get the Amazon package with the three things that only relate in the universe. And I'm always imagining the person who's there, they're in packing that going, who is this person? But anyway, that's a separate thing. I guess here's my question for you guys real quick. And yeah. I had this conversation with Mark the, uh, actually the other day in the car. You know, now that we've been doing this for a while, and he and I are—we don't hate cars. I don't want that to, to come across in this. Is that we obviously still love driving track days. Mm-hmm. We get excited about products still. But you've been doing this for over a decade now. When you guys started and where you are now, how and what that you've enjoyed in cars has changed? Ooh, the ability. You guys to- got some old turds, don't you? You still have the Elise, and what what else do you guys have right now? Uh, the Cayman GTS, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I've had my Elise for a few years now. Yeah, for sure. And that's the big debate is, is what's next. But yeah, keep going. Yeah. So when you started, right, what you loved about cars, for me, it's changed dramatically from when I, you know, the very first time I helped Mark on a video when I was in college till today, my perception of cars, what I value in autom- automobiles has changed dramatically. Now I'm looking for theater, looking for something that when I get out of it, I'm either blown away by its mechanical proficiency, like a new Porsche 911, mm-hmm. or it makes me laugh, like I'm in an amusement park ride, like a Hellcat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple years ago, I liked some of the more compromised cars, like M5s, and now I just I have no interest. Mm-hmm. So how has that changed for you? Ooh, it, it's become more refined along what the lines you're talking about, and that's only happened by virtue of driving more and more performance-oriented cars and then driving some older stuff relating what I like about the future and tech and modern mm. to the old stuff, like the cars we drove for Grio's Garage, that um, Eagle Speedster mm-hmm. that uh, we liked and the, 914. and the 914. Yeah, yeah. I came away loving that 914. And I didn't expect that. I thought it'd be like, okay, the cheap old Porsche. I loved that thing. Of course, mm. it had a 930 engine swap in it, and it was a little bit different than it your average 914. Quite nuts, yes. But still, I, I loved that purity. So it's become more refined for me over the years, but I've, I've always loved cars, just what they do, the shape, the look, the fact that steering this object down the road is fun. 
I just like this. Mm-hmm. It's fun to be here. I like doing this. But then, as you said, the more driving, you know, track driving we have and for all of us, the more experiences we have in more cars has gotten more sharper and more refined to that. So it affects my own car ownership, even though we love the mid-engine feel, you know, Todd with Lotus, I with, you know, Cayman. Mm-hmm. We love that and recommended it, but now it's it's we're able to translate that out to other people. Now that I sort of know what I like more and what I'm looking for more, it's not just, well, Honda Accords are great. Like That's all I had ever driven mm. uh, by the time I was 20. Just Honda Accords. <laughs> I didn't know any different. Yeah. But I knew there were hot cars out there that were fun, but I didn't know why. Now I know why. But of course, you guys, to go back to that, you guys have two of the most driver focused cars that you can possibly have in the modern era of cars. So clearly that's not a modern formula. What you're, what you guys uh, go towards, you're, you're going towards something that is at least a generation old. So does that mean you're, you don't like what's out there now? Not necessarily. It's still about dynamics, not Mm -hmm. necessarily, but it's, we had this discussion earlier and that was about sports cars and shared platforms. And it got a little bit depressing because of, manufacturers in the future not dedicating a platform to a car mm-hmm. and making the sports car that's the future issue so i suppose in that sense you could say yeah that's an old school think you know for wanting these but the good dynamics of a car doesn't matter what decade it was built if it drives well and you like it doesn't matter what decade it was built 70s 80s who cares back to to your question on this jack from my perspective uh the thing when we started this of course I thought of it very much in little kid terms of just, I want to drive the really fast, shiny thing. Oh, cool. We can get into that. And we didn't want to drive minivans. We didn't want to drive Camrys. And now we've driven all of the above. You name it. Because Mm -hmm. of this podcast talking about getting people into cars that they like, they were glad they put their money into, the monthly payment comes and they're not depressed. Because of realities. We've driven everything. Right. And I will say, I love, of course, I love my Elise. I go on and on about it. I talk about driver's cars. I love that. But I've, I've learned over time the benefits of the other markets. And the thing I appreciate, I don't care what kind of vehicle we're driving, is I just like to be surprised. Mm-hmm. I like to get in something and be like, this is just better than I thought it would be. Sure. And that could be something as basic as, how'd you find this much space? Or it can be hopefully something worthwhile, <laughs> like I actually like to drive this. But I realize there's a bunch of people that actually buy cars that never even think about how does it drive. They, they, uh, they're welcome the fact that it would drive for them. I find that depressing. Sure, but if, yeah. if that's who you are as a driver, you don't like to drive, I have to respect that that's not your thing. Plenty of things aren't my thing, but I like to just be surprised and be like, oh, my gosh, look at how they designed that seat to fold. That's kind of crazy. That's something that I have been surprised in myself to discover that those unexpected moments are fun of like, oh, my gosh, I did not expect that boring minivan to do fill in the blank, whatever it is. The other thing that (laughs) I have really appreciated is the experiences Paul and I have gotten to do as a result of this show that if you'd sat me down when we started and said, you're going to get to do this. I'm like, no, like drive the Nürburgring and spa. Right, almost right. yearly. I, that wasn't even on my radar, let alone something that I thought we would do. Right. Make feature yeah. films that cover whole generations of cars. That's pie in the sky crazy stuff I never thought about. So having life experiences that feel grander than we are, that we then get to share, that's my favorite stuff. That I mean, I think that's a, a fair statement. I mean, Mark and I, at the risk of sounding too much like a bromance, I mean, Mark's the closest thing I have to an older sibling. And the experiences I enjoy doing now, and I've, I've told this to Mark, we've had this conversation a bunch, is stuff that I can look back on later and remember fondly of you know, getting to do an experience or, or 
laugh about a car together. Mm-hmm. I think you guys would probably feel the same way w- working together for this long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the cars come and go, but it's the experiences you have with other people and in the cars that you will remember probably forever. Totally. Well, totally. I, I mean, I would have never thought just like you, Jack, like educator, mechanical engineer, YouTuber. Yeah, let's check that box. <laughs> uh, I went to school for design. I've designed furniture. I've designed products, all the stuff. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, worked in tech, worked for software. And then this really started building. And we looked at each other going, yeah, now's the time. Let's build this into helping people. That's where it started. Totally. I specifically went into film to write and direct and had zero. I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. I had zero interest in being on camera. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the weird twists that this take are hysterical to me. So I, I'm just glad we get to do this for a living. And I'm thrilled. Honestly, guys, thank you for spending so much time with us. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. And I hope for all of you listening, if you're not watching these guys yet, you will be. But I think most of you listening have already heard of them because you should have. Indeed, and we're thrilled indeed. that Mark and, and Jack, you both could be on here. It's really, really appreciate it. Thank you it was very much. It was a pleasure. We, we enjoyed having you guys. Looking forward to having you back. We got to continue the discussions about being a YouTuber and <laughs> I, but this, yeah, maybe yeah, make it a little more upbeat for everyone involved. <laughs> well, but we could, such we a could dirty end, word. We could end up with a 90 minute rant fest. And there's a section of the well, audience that would love that. And a section of the audience would be like, and we're leaving this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no. And thanks to your audience too, for listening. And you know, there's always two sides of this and that that's for sure. There's the good side and the bad side. And mm-hmm. there, there, it's pretty split. I think for all of us, it, it's great driving cars and there's some stuff that's not so great about it too. So Exactly. Like what Todd was saying, when a car surprises you in a good way, we're like, yes. When it surprises you in a bad way, oh, duck. <laughs> that, that comes <laughs> yeah. out too, for sure. So, so, so thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again, guys. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. Always like talking with those guys. We, we've been on a couple of press launches with them, and they're great guys to hang out with. And, of course, if you've seen any of their work, they do really, really high-end work and very thorough work. And they found an amazing niche with putting it up on a lift and the stuff they talked through. If you haven't watched their stuff, it's really superb. But what's also interesting that came out of that discussion, and I know you all heard it, but there's, there's this bait-and-switch thing with YouTube. Mm-hmm. Because I think YouTube has this general – perception in the mind of so many people that, well, you just start a YouTube channel. And, you know, if you just put up a lot of videos, you'll have a million subscribers and it'll be easy. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it, it might, but you also might get struck by lightning or become a massive movie star. I mean, the, the reality is there's a lot of like day to day. I have to right. do this, get through it. And I, and I don't mean that to sound like we have jobs that are terrible. We don't. But you and I are very happy to have diversified to lots of places because just doing YouTube is difficult in a lot of ways because there's a lot of things out of your control, especially if you're doing uh, content that takes a while. Those guys do great stuff. Absolutely. And it's that production behind the scenes that we're, of course, always going through and everybody goes through that Mm -hmm. is just you think, now, why am I doing this again? But you're always looking towards that end result. Thank you for watching the Savage Geese content. Thank you for watching ours. The support is massively appreciated. 
we are continuing our spree of questions. Mm-hmm. They were so good. We didn't get to them all. And from, so we're continuing on. From the All Questions podcast, I had almost a whole other podcast worth of questions I'd earmarked. I think you had the same. We thought, when are we going to do those? Those go here. Yeah, I've got one from a prior podcast, too. So jumping in on Facebook from Sharif Solomon. He says, this is inspired by our mutual love for the Mercedes GLS AMG 63. Okay. Let's bring that thinking to the middle or upper middle of the market. He's thinking about cars like the Explorer ST and Durango SRT. Okay. The question is, is is it worthwhile to look for enjoyment in every car in our lives or or alternatively, do you opt for the regular SUV such as a Highlander or lesser model of the Explorer or Durango? And spend your extra money buying a sports car or hotter sports car. Ah, that word, that term, extra money. (laughs) I love it. Sharif says the way he would approach it is that it would depend on how much of your life you spend driving the family hauler versus the fun car. His inclination would be to seek driving fun in each experience unless the hauler was really the only occasional and not a daily. And I hear your point, and we're continually discussing about the upper edge of SUVs that do things, SUVs don't need to do but yeah agreed agreed man, are they fun uh, uh, completely you get supercar performance out of six people going with you yeah that's madness but it's very cool it's exciting but you, at this point you have to be really willing to pay for that and justify it oh my gosh and sharif to your point i'm looking at saving your money because if you're just using it for hauler kinds of duties mm-hmm, <laughs> Most of those SUVs that are really at the high end and super hot are used in Germany on the Autobahn where they can be wrung out. Mm, Interesting point. Okay. Very few people, I think, are tracking their high horsepower SUV, even though you can. Mm -hmm. You don't really see them out there. Everybody says, I could take this to the track. Do you? But when you go to the track, (laughs) nobody's really doing it with Very rarely do you see them. You're right. It's a good point. And so I think, hmm. As much as I want one, as cool as I think they are, and as brilliant as they are to drive, they're expensive. Mm -hmm. You pay for that. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, extra money. If you did have that inclination and you you were able to buy it, but you you were able to also back off and say, you know what? I'm never really going to use it for that. Mm -hmm. And what if I had a cheap sports car to take to the track and beat on and not care about? And I instead of... You know, spending 30000 extra dollars on that high horsepower thing, as cool as they are, as great as they are, yeah. it's tough to do that new. Used maybe is when the equation starts to even out a little bit. Yeah, but somebody's got to buy them new. I take But for point. sure, yeah. buy them new too. And so I, I, I tend to agree with you, Sharif. I think save your money. Go towards a cheap something else. It's a, real, space and it's a real lifestyle question because if you are the dad who, for whatever reason, you cannot get any kind of sports car, period, you're going to have one vehicle. You want to have something crazy powerful and very uh, incredible dynamic handling and these kind of things. Oh, and by the way, I need three rows. Mm-hmm. Then I think this is the thing you have to buy. you got to throw down for it. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you can if you can actually use it just for those hauling duties and have a fun thing, then I think that's the better use of money for that sure. X five M competition, brilliant, mm-hmm. fast, oh crazy fast, does amazing things and was delightful. It was mm-hmm. also really expensive. Yes, and those so are six solid figures. All the ones we're talking about are six figures. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if you never track and you can get some fun out of it, and you agree, you know what, my duties are more hauling. I can see that, but if you just use it occasionally to your point. It's well thought through, Sharif. 
Ben, ben Cohen has a similar question, actually. He says, we talk about how well many CUVs handle, like the Cayenne or the CX-5 or the RDX or these kind of things. And he's asking, are we mentioning that in relation to other CUVs? As mm-hmm. in, oh, this mm-hmm. is surprising for its class. Or do they handle well, period? Now, it depends okay. on the vehicle. The CX-5 Turbo, the RDX, these kind of things, I think they handle very well for their class. The Cayenne, the Macan, the GLS we just mentioned, the Mercedes GLS, big three-row monster with the crazy yep. expensive tires. Delightful. Some of the other Mercedes, the X5M competition you brought up, these handle well full stop. They do. Which is why they feel so strange, because you are sitting so high in a vehicle so big, and you realize, I am doing performance car levels of handling in something that is enormous. Mm-hmm. So the, yes. the upper echelon we're discussing, are they're just incredible dynamically completely. There's no caveats at all. Then there is the wonderment in your brain about how you're defying physics. <laughs> Overcoming weight and I, and I don't, physics. I don't know. Yes. I, I'm personally at a place where I am in conflict with myself on this because part of me thinks that's the greatest thing ever, and part of me goes, "Why are we here?" Mm. But they are. Some of them are just fundamentally amazing. Troy Irvin has got a question about the future, far into the future. Troy says it's been 135 years or thereabouts since Carl Benz's first car. Cars have changed from motorized carriages to incredible machines Benz and Ford never could have imagined. Agreed? Will the next 135 years be an even bigger change for cars as tech continues to accelerate? And will we even still have cars? We're continually pushing on this topic, Troy, and that is the fun of driving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I think cars will never go away. But I do think tech is going to surprise us all even though it seems like we're right on the cusp of everybody is in an electric vehicle and it's just not true mm-hmm. but what is portrayed to us as coming is just right there it's just on the tip of it's, my it's tongue not, it's just, not quite here it's, uh, it's gonna be here next year well no maybe the, the year after that yeah i'll give you an example and that is a friend of mine he is the former director of design at mazda his name's julian montusay he has changed jobs and is now the vp of design and innovation at a company called archer Archer.com. They're building the first ever commercially viable electric VTOL aircraft, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Their website specifically says, here's our master plan, and that is to build an aircraft to demonstrate the capabilities of electric VTOL, certify it so it's just as safe as commercial airliners, and launch commercial routes in cities and integrate autonomous systems for safety. It seems like they have close to a working prototype, and they have a company full of really smart people. How far away that actually yeah. is? The website sounds awesome. <laughs> because, Troy, there's the – it's here, the tech is here, and mm-hmm, it works. Mm-hmm. Then there's this vast ocean of public acceptance. Yes. Beyond that, it's – hmm – Let's let other people try that out before I even come close to something like that. I've, I've thought, mentioned this before in relation to HD television, which we all think is just like, why don't you have 4K yet? Now That's the place we're at now. Right. But when, when I was in college in the 90s, they were showing us HDTV you know, with like the light from heaven on it, oh, because it was just like, this is the next thing, and it's here now, and all this kind of stuff. Most people didn't have HD in their house till the late 2000s, more than a decade later. The Crazy. tech existed a decade prior. Right. It's, and it's right. not like that was tech that had anybody's lives at stake. 
It was just like, hey, a pretty picture. It looks better or it looks worse. It looks worse. really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's – there's no regulation on that. It took 10 <laughs> years for it to become standard. And that was just this, in relative terms, low-tech. Yes. Yes, that was HD. And it's just like I, the, the picture got nicer. So, yeah, there's going to be so many other things connected to all of this reality. It's crazy. Troy, I think the tech coming will accelerate and astound us. But again, I don't think the love for driving is ever going away. And therefore, I think auction sites for cars will always have business. We should have started an auction site. We missed that window. Anyway, that's okay. <laughs> Becca Walker say. has a question. She has a BRZ. She says she loves it. But in her city, the rough roads are getting to her. She's trying to figure out how to make the, the ride a bit nicer. Mm. Her first thought is downsizing the tires for a bigger sidewall, going from a 17-inch tire to a 17-inch wheel to a 16-inch wheel. Okay. It's a great start. You're right. That would solve it if, and I don't know your setup, if that wheel will fit over your brakes. Right. I'm right. not sure how close. I don't remember from when I had my FRS how close those 17-inch wheels were to the standard brakes. So you have to make sure that your wheel fits over the brakes. Yes, a tire change will solve this. A softer tire on your current wheels might solve it. What tire are you running? Yeah, mm-hmm. might have, you could go with a softer tire in your current wheels. If you want to get much more aggressive, you can start doing suspension changes and coilovers and this kind of stuff. I don't think that's where we need to go. But that is like the step beyond. You can start getting nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always surprised by how well my Lotus rides. It's on a pretty standard, works on the street, works on the track, kind of everybody does this Nitron coilover upgrade. And I'm always amazed by the ride. So it, it has helped me in performance, but it's also helped me in just daily. But that's a that's a big leap from let's make a tire change. I would look, again, first into softer tires on your current wheels and then maybe a wheel downsize. Yes, you asked what are the, downsize, what are the downsides of that? The downsides of downsizing. <clears throat> oh, stop. You might, get a, you might get a softer ride out of it. Hopefully you will. But yes, initial turn-in will change. Your steering feel might change a little bit. So you may notice an initial turn-in change and uh, you may lose a little bit of precision. But if you're using it as a city commuter, I don't know that you're going to miss much. You get a good compound on a tire with more sidewall, that's good. And then one for you, Paul. She says... What Griot's product do you recommend to supplement the touchless car wash? Because she finds it leaves random, like there's a dirt spot. I think it's probably just Speed Shine, but what do you think? Speed Shine is good, but there's also the rinseless wash and wax, which is very quick. It sounds mm. crazy. Mm, okay. And you'll go through a few more towels. It's also for when your car isn't super dirty. It's sort of between the major cleanings, mm-hmm. but that's also a great way to keep it clean and, and uh, you know, dirt just kind of falls off. Jeremy D is asking about Audis. He says, we rarely, if ever, suggest Audis. Why is that? There's lots of Porsche and BMW talk, mm. but Audi seems to be left out. It's not intentional. If we have, it's, it's, I guess, an oversight on our part, necessarily. We like a lot of Audis. They're never, they've never really positioned themselves as driver's cars. Even mm-hmm. Mercedes seems to have more of a driver's focus in their AMG mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. lineup. And you could argue the, the R line, essentially, uh, you know, the R versions of Audis mm-hmm. are that. But they're a premium product, and they've never really positioned themselves as you know, fully focused driver's machines. But that doesn't mean they're not in any way invalid. Yeah. We like them a lot, especially a lot of the newer ones. They're, you know, just – it seems like they're an outlier. Well, they're, they're from Mercedes one of those... and BMW in Munich mm-hmm. and Stuttgart, but they're over here in Ingolstadt, 
mm-hmm. they just seem to have a different philosophy about driving. It's not Lexus-like necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's more tech-focused, not driving-focused. Yes, and they have had, because of engine placement, they have had excellent all-wheel drive, but yet a situation where their their cars and SUVs are prone to understeer more than other manufacturers because of engine placement way out front. They've slowly been bringing it back, but that is kind of their history. I think they make excellent cars with really good interiors. Indeed. The problem that I have is, and they're related to Volkswagen, a lot of times they don't have an extra layer of just fun, which is also something I notice in a lot of Volkswagen products. They definitely feel related. And there's something else in whatever category we're talking about that is a standout. And so it's not that the Audi is bad. It's just there's a standout in the category we're talking about. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the standout instead of the Audi. Indeed. Alberti Ox asks, asks me about the Z4. He said, I've experienced every flavor. The first-gen Z4 with the M, the non-M, and the Roadster and the Coupe. What, it, what do I think is the best combination? I actually think if you could get an M car version with the straight six out of the E46 M3 but get it in convertible form. It also has the hydraulic steering. Get that combination in the convertible form. You may have the perfect version. I actually love it in M Coupe. I loved that car. The Z4 M Coupe, we both really liked it. Yeah, we both liked it. But I do think if you're a person that likes a convertible, get that in convertible because the thing about it is that car in convertible form is still crazy stiff. Mm, Sure. So I don't think you lose the stiffness. That means you shouldn't get the convertible. I think the M convertible would be a find. Matt Guerrera has a crazy idea that I don't know how I feel about it. He said, can we can we do a test drive fast blast of my dad's Corvette? Oh. But it's my dad driving with my son riding shotgun and explaining the car. That'll be like an hour-long video. It will be lengthy. It will be lengthy, <laughs> and it will probably have some wrong information in it, but it would be quite funny. It's something to ponder, Matt. I'll, I'll take it under advisement. Elliot Manning says, name a vehicle purchased from a friend or family member that you just shake your head and wonder why. Oh, no. I think my aunt, she's had Highlanders for years. Trade one in, get the next Highlander. Now, I haven't liked any of the Toyota Highlanders until the current flavor. Mm -hmm. I changed my mind. I thought, oh, no, this is going to be something unengaging. And I was wrong. I I came away especially liking the hybrid flavor of it and especially for the market. For what they were going after, that's why I appreciate it so much. It's not that it's suddenly a sports car and nobody knows about it. (laughs) But for what they did, they really nailed this new direction, this new market. But prior Highlanders have just been, uh, of all the, did you have to, okay. You bracing for letters? You're going to get letters. That's where we ended up, huh? Okay. I suggested all this other stuff, Mm -hmm. but new. This is the thing that happens with both of us with our family, with my dad's Corvette notwithstanding, is (laughs) that we keep recommending to family members and close friends, you ought to get a this. And they go, really? That's interesting. I'll look into that. And then they buy the thing they were going to buy anyway. They they ignore the fact that we even were speaking. Okay. J.R. Schultz says, has our personal spectrum of sacrifice standards changed as we've aged have we have we gotten to a place where we are looking for more comfort or has the dynamic requirements that we have, has that been tempered at all? I still drive my Lotus Elise and I cackle like a child, and that is about as unrefined as possible. The struggle for me is that I am aware of the fact that whatever I go to next is going to be less extreme than that, hmm. and I'm worried about missing that reality, but I, I like... I would like to have that with a little bit more refinement. So it's a little bit more versatile, even though I'll use the Lotus in all kinds of situations, and I look to do more of that this year. 
this is the one of the reasons that I talk so much about the 86 chassis because it's close to the, to the Lotus in some ways, but it's quite a bit more usable and more modern. The place where I haven't changed is for a driving car for me, for a driver's car, I want manual transmission and as lightweight as I can get. So the Lotus is awesome. But the Lotus has its sacrifices, which while I love, I think whatever's next will not be quite that sacrificial. I also am a big believer in having a car that has a lot of creature comforts as an alt. So what I used to be is I'm hardcore enough. This is how I've changed. I'm hardcore enough that I'll take whatever car on whatever day. I'd like to have the Phaeton in the garage that is cushy everything and all the tech and massage seats and that kind of stuff because today I'd like to be in that car. (laughs) And tomorrow I'll take the hardcore. I would like to have something with all of the bells and whistles. That is the thing that's changed. I've experienced more of that. I'd like to have the option. Last question for me before we wrap up is from Travis Munster. Do we think cars will continue to just have more and more tech stuffed into them? Do we think it'll reach a point where it's less of luxury and more of a nuisance? Tech as a nuisance. I mean, adaptive cruise control notwithstanding. Haven't we reached that place? You and I are annoyed by quite a few things. Yeah. I Travis, I love this idea of unchecking the boxes or checking the boxes on your order form to delete tech. I don't want the safe take that off you know they're going to charge more to take tech out you know they are especially Porsche. they already charge more because they've added it to a trim level right now right. and that's the way they've right. divided yeah. up tech is based on trim level sometimes you're not getting any more power or mechanical goodness you're mm. just getting more safety stuff mm-hmm. and that's the trim level how about a way to delete all that stuff and just uncheck it and just i want my pure raw let's call it pure something more of a <laughs> focused <laughs> sure yeah yeah it's, what words can we come up with to anti-tech the the order form i'd like the analog box please what does that take out yeah going full analog hopefully all of it yeah guys thank you so much for your questions really appreciate it keep asking and hope you enjoy the interviews more to come we're planning on lots of guests this year appreciate it looking forward to next time cheers everyone <laughs>